Hey, welcome to the Heavy Hole. I'm Tom. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Justin, what's going on, guys? Heavy Hole time. <laughs> really excited for tonight's episode. Yes. Because we got a cool guest calling in. That's right. Um, you know what? Fuck both of your weekends. I worked <laughs> all weekend. We're going to skip that part. <laughs> because tonight we got none other than iconic, uncanny, indubitable, death metal, grindcore, and extreme music drummer extraordinaire Dave Witty also works in a food truck, a vegan food truck, and we're going to talk about all that. Hits so hard. Yep. Hell yeah. We've been waiting for this one. We've been waiting for this one. Sometimes yep. segues come armed. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. got to blast right through. All right. Uh, so- my segue, vegan, vegan food not available from the segway. All right. Yeah. But his food truck. Yeah. So we're gonna pull up to we're gonna pull up to the vegan food truck on the Segway. Dave? Will, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome, man. We're just going to take a second to get the uh, the level. Everything good, Tom? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, man. Oh, okay, you can hear us, right, Tom? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear Dave. We're all good. Okay, so Dave, this is uh, Tom over there. Hey, man. Hi, Tom. And this is my buddy Justin over here. How's it going, bud? Hey, I'm Tom. All right, Dave, good to hear from you, man. It's been too long, brother. Yeah, likewise. So you get three is over there, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that's all we can fit for now, man, until we can buy a bigger studio. Okay. Cool. Then, then, then it's anyone's guess, man. Three white guys in the podcast. This, this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So how's it going, Dave? What's new, buddy? Good. I just literally finished a, a drive home from Chicago maybe about a half hour ago. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It, any, uh, and anything you want to talk about, or was it uh, you know top, top secret? Oh, no, no. I, uh, I did a show with Municipal Waste and... and uh, Tennessee, and then drove out to uh, Chicago to for, to uh, rehearse for Brain Tangles for a few days, and we, we did a four day run, which was exciting. We played with Inarama a few times, and we did the whole little run with a band called Childbite. We were really great. Childbite, great band, yeah. Wow, that's and awesome. then I, I on the way home, I, I stopped and saw a friend in Pittsburgh, and then I uh, stopped off and saw the uh, the Tower of Voices today. What is that? The Tower of Voices. What is that exactly? That's a monument to the, to the uh, fallen victims of the flight, the, the one that was scheduled for the for the White House. Oh, wow. Okay, very timely this week because we are for the for the listeners. We are recording on September the 9th today. Yeah. 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 Wow. So there's something else. Busy guy, man. You get around. Yeah, yeah. I can't sit still. I'm an idiot. It's my own, <laughs> it's my own fault. <laughs> well. I mean, you know, I was just talking to the guys before and kind of doing research for this interview. Um, I realized you're a very public figure within the extreme metal uh, community. I, I think I think everybody realizes that, right? I mean, yeah, sure. I guess I'm just like a normal dude. Well, no, you, you're, you're. Well, maybe that's why, because you're, you know, you're, you're a good dude. You're a normal dude. Uh, you got decibel running up in your food truck. 
you know, you got a lot of podcasts and bloggers trying to interview you, like you know, like like uh, us and every and everybody, man. And there's a lot of uh, things available, uh, you know, out there. Everyone knows, obviously, you play drums in Human Remains, Discordance Access, Burnt by the Sun. Yeah, we could keep going with that whole thing, and um, Municipal Waste. Now you know Slouch. Uh, so I just thought maybe tonight, if we could, we could go back into the history a little bit. I wanted to ask you some questions about um, growing up and uh, and your family. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, please do. So, I mean, just starting off, um, I I know like a little bit later on, before we get this, you did have a, an uncle who played drums and gave you your first sticks, right? That's correct. My uncle Victor. He's, a, he's got the meanest shuffle in the game. <laughs> Prior to that, I mean, is there anyone else in your family that's musical? Do you have any musical persuasion before that? Uh, my Aunt Mary got me into music. What was Aunt Mary listening to? She bought me a Pretender tape and a Men at Work Cargo. Those were my first two cassettes. <laughs> nice. Men at Work Cargo. Great record, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Uh, and, um... Now I understand uh, from like from the research that you had actually an illness where you were paralyzed for two years as a kid. Am I correct? Yeah, I had uh, what's called Guillain-Barré syndrome. And and I mean, is there is it something that just kind of like onsets and and goes away? Like what what, what was the deal with that? Like how how yeah, it's, how, it's, it's temporary. Uh, the scoop with that was is uh, I wasn't fully paralyzed for two years, but uh, I was paralyzed for. A decent amount of time from the neck down, and I uh, and it was set in overnight after I had gotten a cold, and it just destroyed my muscles and nerves. So I, I really couldn't do anything. I got up, and jumped out of my bed, and collapsed, and I, I was paralyzed. Oh my god! Uh, my parents weren't psyched on it. <laughs> it was pretty scary, uh, and I did a lot of research, did a lot of rehab and therapy, and all that stuff relearn how to walk and in that time my uncle had given me sticks for, for my hands for therapy so that's one of the, one of the reasons I started playing but they think uh, you know conspiracy theories this that and the other thing people think that it's related to uh, the swine flu or the vaccination hmm. alright it's like an after effect Wow, that's uh, that, that's that's interesting, man. Yeah, I've never heard of that, man. But um, I you know I, I did hear about that story. We wanted to ask you about that. So, uh, your uncle gives you the drumsticks, um, kind of just as like a therapy type of thing. But then you end up uh, falling in love with drums. Yeah, yeah, I was I liked music, and you know I was trying to show some interest in drums. I think I was ten, so. And then uh, you know he gave me sticks because I had to totally rebuild all the strength. Yeah. In my hands and my legs and everything. Yeah, I haven't gotten a flu shot since, just saying. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm holding back because I don't like, to, I don't like to, to get any kind of political or controversial things off metal on, on, the, on the podcast. But allegedly. I, yeah, I've allegedly been very um, uh, hesitant to get the flu shot myself. I only got it for the first time in a very long time um, when they told me I had to to, uh, to see my, my newborn nephew uh, a year or two ago. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every, every, yeah. It makes sense for some people. I'm not on a crusade to tell people they're not get it. It's just not for me. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't caution people any which way or the other, man. And I'm, I, de- I certainly do not profess to be the best educated person I know. Do what works for you. Uh, yeah, coming exactly. from the Heavy Hole Podcast. That's exactly, man. But yeah, but uh, interesting to think about, nonetheless, man. Um, now when when you start to recover uh, and de- and you know develop your your muscles back, I guess, and and uh, all that. Are you actively pursuing like getting a drum kit and learning more about that, or or like at, at what point do you decide I want to get a kit and w- what is your first kit? 
Well, I was riding a bicycle before that, and I was like way into BMX and all that stuff. And funny enough, I could ride a bike before I could walk again, which is uh, one way I, I helped rebuild my legs. I was doing a lot of work in the pool, and then, you know, like the bike made it build my legs back up so I was able to walk maybe faster because of that. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, I got into biking, and, you know, drumming kind of like took a back seat. And, uh, you know, I kept getting hurt on the bike. And then, like, drumming was kind of there, but, you know, just, like, kind of hanging out a little bit. I was always into it, and I loved tunes. But I realized that I wasn't going to get hurt playing drums. <laughs> There's no handrails <laughs> and drums, you know? Just, yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, uh, you, you can get hurt. Moved, uh, disclaimer, you can hurt yourself playing drums. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I've almost poked my eye out and hit myself in the face with sticks plenty of times. <laughs> so I think my worst, uh, my least favorite drumming injury is when you go to grab a cymbal and the cymbal, the cymbal goes underneath your fingernail. Oh no! Jeez, that's terrible. Mm. Yikes, man! What? I mean, no fun. I never would have thought of that, man. I always picture maybe just like your, you know, your typical joint injuries and stuff like that, man. What, like, what? How? What are other ways you've hurt yourself out on the road or playing shows? Oh, well, you know, uh, when you're going, another example of grabbing the cymbal, like grabbing it and actually hitting your hand, your hand by accident or your fingers. Those oh. drumsticks hurt real bad when you get hit with them. It's that hard they wooden stink. stick, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've seen you live a few times. You hit really hard. So, <laughs> you know, for other people, it might not hurt as much, but. <laughs> I, I, I got to get some stuff out of me. <laughs> I wonder what that fingernail deal would be like on recording. Like if you recorded just that symbol, and I wonder if it'd just oh, be a little extra trashy, you know? Yeah, that does not feel good. You know, the, the nail breaks and bend back, and, uh, you know, there's blood everywhere. It's, it's not fun. No, thank you. Yikes, man. So, you're, so 10-year-old Dave, um, or, or approximately 10-year-old Dave, uh, you know, re- recuperating now, um, in, interested in drums. When do you first discover uh, any kind of uh, heavy music, rock? Like, what is the first kind of music you discover that's a little bit off of just what's on the radio and what's out there commercially? ACDC is my first love. Awesome. I love that band. They're the best band for me. Akadaka. Is that just (laughs) Australian French is the first thing? Akadaka. I would listen to music with my dad. He got me into, like, Muddy Waters and the... Doors and uh, Bob Marley. We'd listen to Babylon by Boston, and uh, he listened to John Baez and uh, the Moody Blues. And my dad had a pretty wide range of listening, more more like folky kind of stuff. And then my mom was like a disco maniac, <laughs> so like, like Brick House and all that stuff was on. That's when disco was tight because it was all band. It was a band. It was all people yeah. playing instruments. Yeah. And like the, the drum and the bass connection was so sick. Yeah, the the Gap Band. That stuff's so great. You go back yeah. and listen to it; it's a marvel on how they made music like that. No, no one can do it better. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, now, all right. So let let me throw this at you here, man. Um, at what point do you notice the drumming of Brandon Thomas? Uh, of I guess at that time probably Ripping Corpse, the drummer of Ripping Corpse, because he's he's a fairly big influence on you, right? Oh yeah, he's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Uh, 
you know, I got into tunes, and in high school I started, like, getting serious about playing. And, uh, you know, I met some guys from other towns and stuff like that. Started playing with some people, and then uh, we started going to shows. And then I found out about Ripping Corpse. My friend Mike Evans actually hit me to them, and, and we went uh, we went to this place in Romson, New Jersey called The Underground. It was a church basement. And they played, and, and someone had played me the 1988 demo at the same time, and it, it blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, there's a guy, because I went and saw him. I was like, there's a guy here that lives a few towns away that's better than all these other guys that, that I like. Like the big bands, you know, like right. Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, all that stuff. I was like, wow, there's a guy that logo looks even better. So I just fell him over here and I started everything he did. It's a huge part of, of my learning, for sure. Yeah, backyard hero, you know, goes a long way. He is, yeah, yeah, for sure. He's such a great guy, he's so talented. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I always loved Dripping Corpse. Um, and uh, the the Dying Light actually, Biolich, my old band, played a show or two with them uh, years ago, man. But uh, you know, I never really made made the connection until um, I joined Artificial Brain, and those guys are all huge Brandon Thomas fans. Ripping Corpse, Dim Mock, uh, Dying Light, anything that guy does was definitely played heavily in the tour van, um, and that's and that's how I kind of got a you know a better feel for for that guy and his style and his his bands, and also it kind of made it got me thinking between him. Uh, be, you know, between Ripping Corpse, really, the whole band, uh, and and Human Remains, and then I noticed other bands later on in the New Jersey scene, uh, maybe even Mortal Decay, there always seems to be this contingent of very interesting, unique, almost, I want to say like psychedelic, or maybe just musically expansive death metal in New Jersey in the 90s. Is, do you, is that fair to say? Do you, do you see that? Yeah, well, it, it all stems from, this is my theory on it anyway. But everyone was so influenced by Ripping Corpse. Like, in New Jersey, metal, aggressive death metal, it was like Ripping Corpse was the, the king. Everybody knew it. They could play better than everyone else. They wrote songs better than everyone else. And, you know, with with us and a couple other local bands, we were so influenced by them that we were caught up in, in trying to sound like them. Yeah. You know, we wanted to be, we wanted to be Ripping Corpse, but we, no one ever could be because... They were the best. And then as time went on, people, you know, us especially, we realized, like, yeah, we can do whatever we want. Why don't we just start doing some, you know, some left field stuff? So that's how it, we, we were highly, like a ripping corpse clone, and then we broke out of it. Uh, all right, that's... And then, like, I, I like to say that, uh, that uh, we had no idea what we were doing before anybody else. <laughs> that's awesome. So... That's that's interesting to hear, man. And I always I always had a feeling that Ripping Corpse must have played a part. And it's really unfortunate. We did an interview with Colin Marston, uh, where he brought up I think it was Colin brought up that Ripping Corpse, um, somebody owns the rights to the music or something, and they that's why you don't see reissues and things like that. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, Cray still owns it, and, and there's some for some stupid reason the guy won't come off it more. Because Relapse is ready to uh, to re-release it. You know, they had all, everything all lined up. Uh-huh. To, you know, and uh, I don't know, man. Such a shame, man. People are really it's, thirsty it's, it's for that. Terrible, yeah. This would be the era like for the guy, it. Too. Yeah, the guys sitting, sitting on stuff, and I don't know. It's, it's really frustrating. But I, I have every format, like I said, CD in the boxes still, 
and when the vinyl came out, I bought it, and, and Scott, the singer, didn't have a copy. Huh. So I, I gave him my copy, what any normal person would do. I was like, oh, man, you're, you're my friend and biggest influence, and you don't have a copy of your own record? I got to give it to him, so I gave it to him. And last summer, I finally found it in Germany. And, and wow. I, I re-bought I re it finally. Wow. Wow, that's a rare find, dude. That's crazy. I actually... Yeah, like... Go ahead. I, I rode past the record store and lost my mind. It was 80 euros, and I bought it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was man. worth every cent. Dude, it's so, such an important record to me. Uh, I, Me too, man. And unfortunately, I when I was probably 12 or 13, I wanted... There was like a Hallmark kind of card and gift store by my grandmother's house. And I used to go in there because they had Metal Maniacs on the magazine rack. And there was a little cassette tape, like, bargain basket with, like, you know, I, I don't know, like, like, like who, Tiffany's Greatest Hits and Prince or whatever. It was like, you know, it was like the, the nice. And there's there's Ripping Corpse Dreaming with the Dead <laughs> on cassette. So my mom bought it for me. And, like, that, that it rocked my whole world. Then, of course, I left it in a friend's uh, pickup truck uh, a few years later and never saw it again. Nowadays, I've, I'm kicking myself. But, yeah, really, really crazy how that Ripping Corpse pops up, man. Yeah, they're the best, man. See them. I saw them live probably a hundred times. Oh, and I best. used to go to rehearsals and watch those guys rehearse and write stuff and practice. It was, uh, it was so amazing to be so close to that. Mm -hmm. Have something of that caliber or a few towns away and then eventually becomes friends with them. Those guys did everything for us. And, and Scott, too. Scott was older than everyone else and he was like the sage. He, he was far more intelligent than anyone. And he also got me into the underground, gave me my first batch of uh, flyers for zines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about so, that on the podcast a lot, how somebody just gives you a little uh, packet of flyers and you're off, you know? Yeah, that was it. Scott gave me all that stuff. Scott got me, you know, we jumped in that pool together. He gave me all the information. So what were some of the first, uh, who were some of the first people you were corresponding with and demos you got? Any Anything that um, that we would know now? Well, I used to write, there was a group of people that I used to write to, and I actually, Anthony uh, Bowman, I used to speak to on the telephone. I used to write letters with him on, and then we traded the demo demos, and uh, uh, Essa from, from Demigod, another Finnish guy, and then there was Paul Watson from this Dying Grief magazine from uh, England. And there was this guy, Fred, from Belgium that sent me stuff all the time. I, I forget it. I fell out of contact with him. And then there was Paul Nielsen, who was an illustrator from, from Copenhagen. I still talked to him. He, he designed my first tattoo. I wound up meeting a lot of these guys when Musical Way started touring a lot. And then I used to write with uh, Anders, too, from Anticates. And so I got all their demos and all that stuff, too. Wow, man. So, I mean, obviously... All that stuff, but I got to I got to hone in on something you said. You used to speak to Auntie Bowman of Demolich or Demolich, however you pronounce it, on the phone. <laughs> yeah, my parents would get real pumped. Bill was astronomical. <laughs> That's awesome, man. From Finland, obviously. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we're, we've been friends a long time. We're a great guy. Yeah, oh, very nice guy, man. I've been. Yeah, I remember when the yeah. record came out, and because he sent me both demos, and I was sending him everything when we did it, and. He was so excited to show me when when, the, when their album came out and he was wearing a human man shirt. <laughs> it was great. So, um, speaking of like tape trading and stuff like that, what's your uh, like prized possession from your tape ta uh, tape trading days? All the ripping corpse demos because they're so important to me. I got the entombed. I got unleashed. I got like all suffocation. 
a lot of New York stuff. Incantation, Mortician. Uh, there's this really sick band from Pennsylvania that was called Lesh Nyan. I got their demo. I like that a lot. Uh, the Cartilage demo from from uh, Finland. Wow, cool stuff. Uh, I love I love that. I, I, I got all kinds of stuff. Cool. Yeah, we uh, we actually interviewed. Kind of hard the, the Vader Morbid Reich demo was really great. Such a great demo, and it was one of the first demo cassettes that was full color, full pan, like eight panel. Like they put a lot of work into that thing, and it was awesome. That's a that's a really good one. Yeah, I, I'm a big Vader fan, man. Always have been, and even even their older material, man, which was definitely much more raw. And when you come to understand the history, weren't, weren't they were like one of the first Polish bands in extreme underground metal? Yeah, yeah. I used to write letters with him too, but that didn't that didn't. Uh, I didn't keep up with him as much as uh-huh. the other guys. Wow, man, that's that's amazing, dude. And um, uh, you mentioned you had a lot of New York stuff. We did interview Chris Basile of Pyrexia. Um, uh, oh, o- cool, yeah, yeah, OG member, and he, um, you know, he's actually even shared old flyers and and talked very fondly of playing shows with Human Remains a lot in the old Pyrexia days. And even re- uh, recommended one of um, your old uh, Human Remains demos as his album recommendation when he was there on the show. Could you? Uh, I mean, do you remember coming out to Long Island back in the day? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. We used to go. We used to play all Long Island a lot. And then Suffocation was like, and Pyrexia were like our brother bands for first. Band. And Jason Fligman managed Human Remains for for a short minute. Yeah, actually, and, uh, uh, we they just talked about Jay Fligman on last week's uh, well, uh, the, the the episode that uploaded last week with Chris of Pyrexia. Oh, awesome! Yeah, Chris is great, man. We had so much fun with those guys, and those guys, and we used to play with Morpheus uh, a lot before they turned into Morpheus Descent. Bob Yench, he was like a homie, and Primeval. Well, yeah, the Suffo guys were always the coolest, <laughs> and the py- Pyrexia dudes. <laughs> yeah, we played with them a lot, and we used to hang out with this guy, uh, <clears throat> Tom Harms. He was a Long Island guy, and uh, that's where I met Carlos. Too, uh, Carlos. Did, we wound up doing Black Army Jacket together years later. Yes, uh, a, a kind of a le- to- legendary oh, band yeah. for. No, I was going to say legendary band for me being from Long Island and being into grindcore and in high school in the nineties. You know. Yeah, it was fun. I remember we all made the trip up to Fleet uh, Fest of Freaks at Club Babyhead, where Infantego played. So we went, we all went up there together. That was a lot of fun. That's <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Maybe um, there was there was a guy that played drums in Black Army Jacket. I guess maybe after you or before you. I don't know how the chron- it was a guy. Uh, Dan before me. Yeah, Dan. He was he was a few years older than me in high school. I didn't know him a lot um, very well, but he was friends with some of the guys that would form Buckshot Facelift with me. Yeah, Dan's a cool guy. Yeah, man. And if if you if you talk about those old Long Island shows, I'm certain that you guys probably played Sundance or the Roxy here on Long Island. Oh yeah, both places. And I thought. Uh, Candlemass, Atheist, and Ripping Corpse at the Sundance when Roger Patterson was still alive. Wow, man. Yeah, us. The, I, both of those... Yeah, I used to ride with Ripping Corpse a lot. I used to roadie for them, too. Wow, man. That's awesome, dude. I, 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 so, where else did you go with Ripping Corpse? Did they ever do a lot of touring? No, not really. They'd go upstate New York and New York and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then Scott and... Well, I didn't go with Scott. We went to see the, the nuclear festivals. I mean... Tom from Nocturnal, and then we met Sean and Scott down there because we all wanted to see Macabre. We were like, <laughs> Macabre. Sean turned me on Macabre and changed my life. As a drummer, that must have been amazing. 
Yeah, oh God, Dennis is amazing. He's such a nice dude, too. I wound up becoming friends with those dudes over the years, and we play shows together. They're always fun to see. Yeah, I've just had the but opportunity yeah, to... I was going to say, I had the opportunity to meet them once as a fan. Very nice guys. Yeah, I was like, they saw Human Remains once, Dan. It was at the Wetlands, this thing called Death Stuff, where Danny had called me to drum on uh, Need need to Control, the Brutal Truth album, and I, and I had to say no, because uh, Human Remains was just signed to Relapse, and, like, that was my baby. So, uh, we were, when we were all playing Deathstock at the Wetlands, and uh, Macabre played, and Danny introduced us, and he, and he was like, you gotta watch these guys. You gotta watch Human Remains, because they had no idea who we were. And they watched us, and Lance came up to me, and when we were done, he was like, Dude, that was so fast. It was amazing. <laughs> I remember that vividly to this day. He was really psyched. And it made, you know, God, it made us feel like a million bucks because we loved Macabre. Yeah, no, of, of course, man. And, uh, you know, I think an underrated band when you talk about, um, especially drummers that were pushing it in terms of extremity in the, in, in the very early years. Yeah, it's been the same. It's like the rush of gore metal or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. All the same dudes. Forever, <laughs> yeah. those guys, those guys, and uh, Cynic were the most complimentary fans to us that didn't know who we were. <laughs> yes, yes, C- Cynic back too nowadays, man. Yeah, Macabre yeah, left. We played Long Island with them. It was like uh, Cannibal Corpse, Sinister, Cynic, and Human Remains, and Internal Ble- Internal Bleeding. We oh played to pl- play shows with them a lot too. Internal Bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had Frank Rini uh, who was singing for them in the '90s, probably during that era. Uh, or maybe a yeah. little bit after that on, on the show, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the you know, like we've said, those are kind of like the the big three from from Long Island from the '90s that people always uh, know as Internal Bleeding, Pyrexia, and Suffolk. Yeah, Internal Bleeding, the Inventors of Slam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, contentious debate yeah, in some circles locally. That's all I'm going to say. Allegedly, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I know, I know all those. Everybody had their own twist on everything back then. Of course, of course, man. I kid, man. Yeah, no. Um, just interesting hearing hearing all those kind of stories tie in because Human Remains has come up on the podcast. And while like while we're still kind of on Human Remains, man, I, you know, we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. But um, I wanted to ask you about you know while you're still getting into drums, you, Human Remains started while you were in high school, correct? Yeah, we were this band called Final Judgment, and we wanted to be like Sacred Reich more than anything. <laughs> Awesome. And then one guy left, and we met Steve, and we're like, let's just change it. Everybody was so into Clive Parker. Then it was really easy to, you know, go into the Books of Blood and take everything from there. That's where the name comes from. Yeah, yeah, we talked about how, like, nowadays it's it's a lot harder to come up with a name that hasn't been used yet, you know, by another band. Oh, it's almost impossible. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> imagine being able to name your band Grave, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. But um, Ryan, uh, Ryan from uh, Ryan from Waste got really lucky and named his band Bat. I couldn't believe <laughs> knowing that the name Bat. It was insane. right in front of us the whole time. Yeah. Well, the re- <laughs> the reason I ask when Human Remains started because you're still kind of learning drums, um, progressing. One thing I wanted to ask you about because you're back in, in the old school days. You're in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, learning how to do extreme metal drumming on your own. As you know, nowadays we have the advent of YouTube, and there's even like all pro- probably video sharing sites that are just for drummers and things like that, and there's oh, um, amazing the tools at our, at our disposal now. It's insane. 
Yeah, and and I don't want to I don't want to pick apart unless you want to give your opinion about which is better, which is worse, who has it easier and harder. But could you just maybe take us through what it was like for you back in the day? Um, if if you wanted to study, say, if you got like a, a death cassette and you wanted to study a drummer's style or something like that, you know. Well, it was back in the day. It was Mick Harris, like he was the dude. Mm-hmm. And then you had Pete Sandoval, who's the, the king. Like he made the blast beat. Like he was the king of the blast beat. Like he was so great. So, uh, like, on the money, like, tight, faster than anybody else, had the double bass. And then you had Mike Smith, Long Island represent. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Yep. He was the first dude to play like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember he was the first guy to change it up. Just a, a and then rhythmic you get, powerhouse. And you, yeah, and then you had Paul uh, Paul from Cannibal, too, had his own take on it. He did a different thing. So, everybody, and it, back then it was like, oh, you're a cheater using two feet, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, it was kind of funny. But uh, at the end of the day, now looking back on all that stuff, so many different dudes had so many different ways of doing it, and it all worked. It was just different. It's how you how apply you how you applied yourself. Do you feel like maybe we're make any sense? yeah, absolutely, and um, that's what I'm getting at is kind of like maybe back in the day, drummers evolved on their own in their own bubble in a way more, um, and because because you cause yeah, you, there was nothing. There's nothing out there to, to look to, you know what I mean? You just heard it. So And everybody wanted to be as fast as Pete, because Pete was the fastest. That, that's who made me want to be the fastest dude in the world. There was, I remember at a point in time when that's why I just wanted to be the fastest guy ever. That's all I cared about. Uh, and, and also, the, all these drummers you mentioned, you also got Brandon Thomas in your backyard. Um, and that's Yeah, <clears throat> Brandon wasn't really a blast beat guy. But uh, he, you know, he did them, and he did them extremely well. Mm-hmm. But everything—it was a small part of what he could do. Brandon's abilities were way beyond everyone's. Like he—he—he he, he had it all. He was the total package. Well, maybe as poorly independent, double bass, like no, unassisted, dynamics, ghost mm-hmm. notes, the whole thing. He was the man, and the creativity off the chart. That's what he—that's what set him apart from everyone. He had a soul in him. Absolutely. And uh, again, just urging the listeners, if they haven't, to check out uh, Ripping Corpse, Dim Mock, uh, the Di- and The Dying Light, uh, if they want to hear about this drummer, Brandon Thomas, that we're talking about. And something that I picked up in the research, too, he was taught by uh, a, a jazz drummer named Bob Butterfield, right? Bob Butterfield, yep. Is there any Great drummer. Is, really sick. Is he a recorded drummer, a drummer that we could, like, research? I don't think so. But Bob taught Brandon some stuff, and, and then, like, Brandon just, like, had a few lessons and just, you know. Bob showed him the basics. Yeah, yeah. And then Bob Bob, was, Bob used to say that. He was like, I just showed him some stuff, and he was great already. He knew what he was doing, <laughs> you know. He just he just needed, you know, a little bit of something. And yeah. Bob was really good. I've, I've seen him play a few times. It was, it was really cool. And then he owned Butterfield uh, Recording Studios in Red Bank, which turned into the uh, Red Bank rehearsal which Jim from Human Remains had bought later on so we were always around him and and uh, it was kind of funny because Bob was a big jazz guy and all these jazz cats were coming in and out <laughs> and then when Human Remains started really develop, developing its own identity and we were getting really you know out there they would they would come in and they're like hey you don't mind, you mind if we uh, you mind if we sit in on your rehearsal and, you know watch what you guys are doing <laughs> It was it was really funny. 
Wow, man, that's awesome, dude. It's it's really yeah, interesting to know. I've never heard anything like that before. Yeah. yeah. Well, even in death metal, no one ever heard anything like that before, man. I mean, you know. Um, and something I wanted to ask you about before was you said something you mentioned earlier in the conversation. You said that uh, your you know human remains and maybe maybe other Jersey bands started out trying to imitate Ripping Corpse and then said you know hey we can do what we want and we branched out. What are some of the other influences playing into Human Remains? Um, you know, obviously there's not a lot of metal going on at that time, but like, what what were you guys listening to, and what were some of the other? Ba- you know, were you guys listening to like prog music or jazz? What were those guys into, and what were you into yeah, besides every- metal? I mean, everybody loves metal, but uh, you know, Teddy liked a lot of uh, like thrash metal. He was in a band called Eternal Aggression before for Human Remains, and they were great. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we listened to a lot of stuff. Uh, Osric Tentacles, Puppy, Nine Inch Nails, uh, all the, all the, uh, the volume swells were, are pretty much from Alex Blyson and Steve Vai. Those guys love those, and like Jason Becker, Marty Friedman, Cacophony. People that could play with guitar. That's a, I don't know, we were influenced by everything, but the people that were virtuosos, you know, yeah, yeah. really stood out. Uh, Alan Holdsworth. Alan Hellsworth is amazing. Yeah, great player. Yeah, but the volume swells came from Steve Vai and, and Alex Lyson specifically. Wow, interesting to know. Okay, the first time I ever heard that they were playing, um, they were they were playing the EP uh, over the, the the PA system at one of the first death metal shows I ever attended, and the volume swells to me. I could have sworn I would have bet money as like a twelve or thirteen year old kid that those were saxophone parts run through some sort <laughs> yeah. of yeah. People are like, yeah, what kind of pedals are you guys using? <laughs> like, no, we don't have any pedals. They're like, what? Yeah. It was so bizarre because no one really heard about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, Alex Lyson was the start of it, though, because we were all Rush nerds. And he, <laughs> he used to do that in a lot of the songs and the solos. And then Steve I took it, you know, went crazy with it. Steve I made it sexy. And then, what's his name? Tom Morello started doing it. But he, he had like a, a toggle switch and a pedal and stuff. He wasn't really... He had, a, he had an eight-foot ladder filled with pedal boards. <laughs> yeah, he was, a he, yeah. Yeah. he was like nerdy street. Steve Vai made sexual. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was the guitar playing stripper. Yes, oh. and, <laughs> it's great stuff. So, uh, I also wanted to ask you quickly. There was another band that um, I didn't even realize you were in until I did the research. Uh, I abhor her. Yeah, yeah, that's actually on the table to be reissued. Yeah, really obscure kind of band. I just remember having one track on some compilation a very long time ago. Weren't they New York based or like Staten Island based or something? Yeah, Staten Island. Joey Capizzi and then Eddie. Uh, well, it was Joey and Javier. Javier played in Born Against. And okay. then uh, Javier and, and Eddie did Cattle Press together while we were doing Eye of Burr. Yeah, it was and, kind of. Uh, I remember. I remember it was kind of like a cattle press side band or whatever. That was like the vibe, kind of. Well, kind of, I guess. But I guess I think Iabora did a little bit more before Cattle Press. Cattle Press was just like a a demo thing with the machine that Ed was doing with Javier for a while, and then and then uh, I actually did a rehearsal with them. I thought I was going to play drums, and it just didn't work out because everybody was too busy. And then they went up getting Dave Cruz, yeah. and then that that was the first drummer that they had. But those early demos of the drum machine that Ed did are so great. Yeah, no, good band, man. And one of the few bands um, 
that I remember from like even from the East Coast because because I was into a lot of that like quote unquote power violence and that um uh, you know the Slapham Records type of scene where it was either like the pow- the fast grindy power violence or the sludgy stuff man and that was one of the few bands that you saw from the East Coast pop up yeah yeah Chris Chris was awesome we asked him to put it out and he was into it I learned a lot from those guys. I learned how to play really heavy and, and hard with them because they were it was totally different than everything. Everything else I was doing was like technical and fast. Yeah, it was more of a slow band, which is interesting for you. Yeah, it was fun, and they, they showed me a lot and musically and, and uh, lifestyle. Those were those guys were the first vegans, vegetarians I met way back in the day. Hmm. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about Thai food, Indian food, like. I grew up in like very meat and potatoes and pasta and spaghetti, you know, Jersey. stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting because that's a, that's like a very natural segue um, <clears throat> that I didn't expect. But we did want to ask you, Dave. Obviously, it's been well documented that you have the uh, Go Go Vegan Go food truck. That's still a thing, right? Yes, it is. Uh, and have you expanded uh, beyond the food truck? Yeah, we have a brick and mortar now called Hang Space. Hang Space, and where's that at? That's uh, probably like two miles from my house in uh, south of Richmond. Okay, so, uh, so so just south of Richmond, Virginia. And where where did, where's the food truck usually park up at? Uh, we do lots of stuff. We do first riding art walks here at breweries a lot. Ma- mainly uh, in like the, like the Richmond Sometimes area? Parks. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all in, we don't leave Richmond. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. And yeah, any, the any... truck's old and won't really get it. won't really make it. We'll <laughs> have to pay more money for a tow truck than actually making it. You've done enough touring. That's okay. <laughs> so, tell me about the the food truck, man. I mean, you mentioned like uh, I was, one question I wanted to ask you about it was like, you know, I I'm I'm like a meat and potatoes guy. You know what I mean? Obviously, uh, you know, if you're seeing me, I'm not much of a vegan myself. But say I roll up to the truck, I want to try something new. Like, what's your go-to recommendation for someone who who's not that knowledgeable, maybe you know, not the widest palate, and just wants to try something out? Well, we, we were the first people to use the Beyond Burger. We've been using it since it launched for two and a half years. And it tastes so much like meat. A lot of people are, you know, they question whether it's meat or not. And they like it so much. A lot of people that think they'd be put off by it. Uh, we have two different burgers on the menu all the time. They're, they're really good. And we have fried fish tacos that are made from uh, a soy protein. And then the number one seller is... Uh, this thing called we have the not so pad thai fries it's french fries with this uh, amazing uh it's red and white onion sprouts uh cilantro scallions three different sauces uh fried onions and, and peanuts oh man they're delicious Sounds people amazing. go crazy for those i'm sold yeah. have you ever had a beyond burger will no no uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to you, you yeah. got it because i guarantee you've had worse Actual real burgers, you know. I'm gonna have to put yeah, in, like, I, I prefer it's, it. Yeah, it's 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 clean. It's nice. You don't feel like so. I'm gonna have to put my money Fought. where Dave's food truck is and put the Beyond Burger where my belly is and try that. Yeah, out. Beyond's great. We we prefer it. And when it first came out, it was such a nightmare because it only had it at certain spots, and we had to drive all over places just to have some to sell it. It was such a pain in the ass because we weren't big enough to have a distributor. Oh wait, so, wait a minute! Is that, yeah. that that's the same thing that they got at like Burger King now? That's the impossible. Okay, I'm that's sorry. All right, I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Imp- is it like no, Impossible is like more an imitation meat, when Beyond's more of like a plant based? Like, is that kind of right? Like, yeah, they're, no, they're both plant based, and one's GMO and one isn't. 
Okay, there right, that makes sense. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So yeah, there's a lot of information out there. Like Impossible's trying to grow the beat. Yeah, it's like uh, both of them are uh, when po- when Impossible launched, they straight they straight up came out and were like, yeah, the diet secondary. We're, we want to try and save save the world, you know, change the environment. Okay, I get it. I, so one is more environmental, like going green, and one is more like this is better for you. Yeah, I mean, well, they both have the same standpoint where they want people to consume less meat and you know agriculture and, and all that stuff. It's it's a big debate. But uh, for me, personally, I feel weight. I, I stopped eating meat like two, two and a half years ago, something like that. And uh, I feel great. And I really like the burger a lot. I... So here, here's another question. Um, just on the same note, you, you said before you didn't grow up in this uh, you know lifestyle, eating this way with this diet. What are some steps, because um, something I like is that, you know, when doing the research, I saw you on the food truck, uh, you know, getting interviewed and talking about this and, and saying that you're not, not you, you know, at the time, I guess, of the interview, you're not a vegan, um, but, you know, you do eat a lot no, of vegan. So, so it's like you don't have to be, a, this isn't like a strict uh, religious lifestyle switch that you have to make overnight. What are some things that people... No, no, no. Yeah, well, like... Yeah, well, you phase it out. It's, everybody's body's different, and, you know... Here's, here's something a lot of people don't talk about, that some bodies just can't have them that are allergic to soy, or some, some, it sounds strange, but some people just can't be vegan for health reasons or vegetarian. They need the meat protein that no other thing's going to do for them. Yeah, it's a select case. It's not, it's not for everyone, but it's, that's the truth. Yeah, we're, Everybody's body's different. It's not, sometimes it's not going to work. Yeah, we're somewhat spoiled by society in, in that fact. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, back when we were hunting and scavenging as humans, you needed to eat meat. There was no if, ands, or buts. But now, you know, uh, the science of it's changed. And, uh, yeah, so it's not for everyone, like you're saying. You know? Yeah, it's way different. Like, the options are, are so... Because I love food. And now the options are so plentiful. It's uber exciting because I used to go out and eat the craziest things I could find. And, you know, I got that out of my system. I did all that stuff. And, and I, vegan and vegetarian food just happens to be the most exciting thing for me the last like four years or something, something like that there's endless possibilities and, and one thing that uh, a lot of people don't talk about is like vegetables and there's a lot of stuff that's actually vegetarian and vegan by accident just like it's, that's, it's vegetables you know what I mean rice and potatoes and stuff like that it's yeah, yeah. vegan it's vegan from the beginning and people are like oh I'm not eating vegan food it's stuff you already eat yeah, you, you know already I mean? eat that half the time anyway. Uh, um, yeah, they're just afraid of the name. Yeah, I want to get back into some of the uh, you know earlier band career stuff with you, but uh, since we're on the topic, um, coffee. You're a big coffee I love man. Coffee. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, you, in fact, with uh, Brain Tentacle, put out uh, a coffee with dark matter coffee, correct? Sure, it did, and so did Municipal Waste. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Nice. I fell in love with I fell in love with coffee. In Italy, when I was jumping from Melbourne, I had my first espresso. <laughs> in Italy, wow. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. Like, I didn't get it until then. You know, we had Dunkin' Donuts. You're drinking this light and sweet stuff, like super sugar bomb. You wind up shitting your pants half the time Jeez. afterwards. Yeah, so you're, are, are you still uh, chasing that high of that first Italian espresso? Oh, I, I went out right away and bought a V-Lady machine and some Italian 
beans and, and brought them home, and I've been hooked. Like, coffee's crazy. They're doing so much great stuff with it. You can do anything with it now. Different roasts and dark, back to dark matter, like you said. Uh, they're infusing different yeast strains in the roast and letting them ferment pre-roast. And those guys are super unique, very passionate, and I love them. I love everything they do. And they're super duper supportive of the arts. Well, we gotta, yeah, I gotta get my hands on some of that stuff. Try it out. Yeah, you can go to the website and order. They're from Chicago. I don't, they might even be distributed in New York. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll check out their website. See if they have uh, if they sell locally. But I mean, I get everything shipped here anyway. So yeah, they did a Judas Priest coffee. Got to try that. Uh, Maybe a little leathery tasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any grinder. Uh, yeah. Grinder. Wow, it writes itself. Any um, any any plans to to, to expand um beyond like the restaurant business and maybe off, open up like a coffee shop or something like that? I don't know. We're the only people that carry dark matter in Virginia and we're carrying the cold brew, but we're not selling enough coffee, so we can't really be a coffee shop. And we have it there for people, but there's there's straight up coffee shops here. Wow. Uh, if I, if I was going to expand, I think I might want to make my own chocolates because I'm crazy about chocolate. Jeez, mm. man, I can't keep up with you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I've what? always been chocolate's been my my first love. I would I would stop drinking beer before eating chocolate. <laughs> and I know that we could talk beer with you too, right? Yeah, and then, you know a lot of great chocolate is is vegan naturally as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else in it, just like straight up dark chocolate roasted cacao. Wow, man. A lot of knowledge here, man. And uh, we, as I always say on the podcast, we do want to be respectful of your time. Um, but we could keep going talking about all this different good stuff. I'm getting hungry and thirsty here, man. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I can already tell hopefully we can have you back for uh, for another session for a part two in the future, Dave, because there's a lot to get into, man. Um, yeah, come down and eat at the truck, too. Check it out. That, yeah, that that's actually, a, that's that, an idea. That would, yeah. be a, that would be a delicious episode, if I don't say so myself. Um, I did want to ask you, though, uh, you know, just a few more questions about the music. And we've barely even cracked the surface. I mean, we haven't really even gotten much past Human Remains. But um, maybe we could just close out and, and wrap up a little bit. Um, I just wanted to talk about Human Remains because you put out a number of demos. And there's the story about the Metal Blade demo. And I've actually heard the rumor that you guys weren't signed to Metal Blade for the reason that, that not all members had long hair. Yeah, it was appearance. Totally. That's true. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's... That's crazy. It's funny. It's, it's, it's also ironic because look at today's climate. The yeah. last decade. Yep. <laughs> like, we truly were way ahead of everyone else and they had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> For uh, real. I, I have a, a rumor. I, I've heard a rumor, and uh, maybe you can shed some light on this. Um, speaking of uh, being ahead of your time with human remains, um, you think that that could have something to do with Gorguts? And the way they change their sound at some point. Uh, oh, absolutely! Luke will be the first guy to tell you that. Yeah, I, I had heard that from a friend, and it, it does make sense. Something clicked. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we saw Gorguts like uh, we were playing the Pyrexia rehearsal space, and uh, Luke was there hanging out with the Cephal guys, and he was partying, and he saw us, and it blew his mind. I think he was uh, doing some psychedelics. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> So, yeah, it was, it was a long time so ago. Dead. But he, yo, he still tells me that. I, I love him. He's one of the greatest people on earth. Nice, so guy. nice. Yeah. Good dude. I love his music. But he said that we were responsible for him, you know, rethinking things. 
All right, so big impulse. It's no longer and a that's rumor. A complete honor. Not a, that's not a legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you ask him, he'll t- he'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, we're going to work on getting him on the show at some point, too. Yeah, we've yeah. reached out to Oh, he's great. He's a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, yeah. It's just And just for the listeners, we get a lot of recommendations of who to interview. And trust us, we got a list a mile long. We only got so many days in the week. You know, it's tough. But, um, uh, and we appreciate your time, Dave. Uh, so, you guys, um, and also just for listeners interested in the whole, because this hair thing has come up, how in the late 80s, early 90s, whether or not you had long hair or a shaved head meant a lot and could even be um, a point of contention that could get you into a fight back in the day, right? Oh, yeah. It was it was really gnarly back in the day. We used to go to Lemoore's and we'd go see Chromax and Teddy was the only guy with really long hair and he almost got beat up real fast a few times. Yeah. Yeah, we've, yeah uh, Chris Basile Pyrexia told us about getting clotheslined by skinheads going to see the Chromax years ago and things like that. Yeah, that, that's, that that stuff was for real, man. That wasn't like... There was a grudge there. Yeah, yeah, it, and like building grudge. Everyone knows now that it's foolish. <laughs> yeah, yeah in, interesting now, man. How you know image has changed and isn't even really an issue, you know, most of the time. Man. Um, uh, so you guys do end up signing to Relapse, though. Um, and, yeah. And and the Relapse puts out using sickness as a hero, and the band was still around for that, right? When it was released, it came out right after we split up. Okay, I, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, obviously, as, as fans, we're curious about what happened. You know what it was? We were so young, we had no idea what we were doing, and we just stopped doing it. That's wow. Like, everyone was everyone was changing. Mm-hmm. Everyone would started to have different musical influences, and, like, I don't know, it's, it just didn't work out. We were, we were so young, we didn't know, like I said, and we just kind of grew apart, and I left, and then Steve left, and... And I remember talking to Matt Jacobs, and I called him up and told him, and he was really bummed. I love Matt; he's all on front of mine. And he was like, "Well, I can get you on the the Harmony Corruption tour as, as main support. Would that make you guys, you know, stay together?" And I was like, "Nah, we're done. <laughs> we oh. should have did the tour." Oh my God! What a what if? If you remember the what if comics, man, Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah. It, interesting. It, it, we never. It would have been cool if we did a round, you know, like in the United States, to actually see whether it would have happened. Yeah, and maybe just for the listeners, because something that I've brought up on the podcast, actually something that your friend and mine, Dan Gargiulo, has has brought up uh, in conversations. Is how, Welcome. Yeah, we yeah we love Danny, and we are going to get Danny on on the podcast. Um, uh, and Danny was instrumental in um, you know hooking you up with the podcast too, man. Obviously, so shout to him. But yeah, you own the pizza. Yeah, <laughs> will do, but only a Long Island style slice, right? Yeah. But, but, um, but something he always brings up is that a lot of these classic death metal albums that everybody worships from years past, were record- some of them were recorded when the artist was like in their teens or early 20s. And uh, it's kind of weird to, to put that in perspective, being in your 30s and, and still listening back to this amazing album, you know. And uh, for, for the listener's perspective, how old were you guys when Human Remains broke up? 22, 23, something like that, maybe. Jeez, babies. I mean, really, in the big scheme of things, babies. These are like your sports heroes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was early, man. I mean, yeah, we were pretty young, man. Entombed was really young when they recorded too, and the teen- they're teenagers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and it's, it's something. Let them pass. They were all young, really young when that came out. Yeah, and and something Justin just mentioned. It's a lot like sports heroes. 
who live on and and you know like like as legends throughout time and a lot of this is all stuff that was accomplished in maybe like three or four years in their early 20s you know yeah we burned real bright i mean we didn't know what we were doing so that was it well you... <laughs> we really didn't know man that's 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 the honest truth where everybody started getting older and figuring stuff out in different ways what they wanted to do one they didn't want to do you know understandable of course and i think we've all been there in one way or another especially that at that age uh just just from our from from the other side of the, the wall here from our perspective as fans uh and fans who came of age a little bit younger after human remains um had had broken up it's just interesting to to to, to hear that and to put in perspective of how young you guys really were in your life um and and you know because you you hear that album and a lot of people you know were just like wow you know these guys must have been really accomplished musical virtuosos and da 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 and, you know that's not always no, the case we didn't know <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, one of my favorite story ever is we played uh the uh the QE2 I believe it is in Albany Albany and. Somehow we were on that band, One King Down's record release show. It was the most people we have ever played to by far. It was sold out at their hometown show. It was so packed, it was hard to go to the bathroom, like walk through the crowd. You had to push your way from one side of the band to the other. Yeah. And we played, and there was not one clap or, or anything in between. in between every song. It was dead oh. silence. Oh, so yeah. it was so uncomfortable that uh, you know we just wound up racing through the whole set. Yeah. Oh, man, that was really weird. And, and I was in the bathroom afterwards, and there was these two guys next to me. And I and I heard this conversation. Hey, man. One guy says the other one. Hey, man, what do you think of that band? And then the other guy goes, I don't know. I think they're good, but I'm not sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best. Well, I mean, you said it was it was support for One King Down. Uh, I mean, I know that band. I, rem- I remember them playing on Long Island when I was a teenager, man. I mean, more of like your... your uh, more traditional, very tough, uh, you know, like like mosh pit hardcore from the East Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that crowd with Human Remains in the '90s, yeah. I mean, that, it's a tough sell. It's the man. beginning of crossover, you know. It's the, yeah. Like that person's like, I'm not sure if I like this, and like somebody will tell him that it's cool, and then he'll yeah. buy the record, right? It's, it's yeah, like, we, we <laughs> play with Earth Crisis and Mouthpiece. We play with lots of weird bands. Dead guy. Oh, dead guy! Dead guy! Another New Jer- New Jersey dead guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, another band, amazing band that should be in that conversation. I think about the um, the kind of eclectic musical uh, New Jersey bands, even though not a death metal band. Well, they came from the other side. Mm-hmm. There's two sides. What? There's two bands that are responsible for all that. The one is Ripping Corpse, and the other side is Rorschach. Rorschach. Okay. Could you talk about them just a little bit? Did you did you see them live and things like that? Or we played our first show ever with them. Okay. Okay. At a pizza place in New Jersey in Middletown. It was it was us, uh, Rorschach, and then Born Kent. Wow! What a show, man. The, and then uh, Rorschach was like the most progressive, weird punk, hardcore thing going. And then like they were a big influence on the hardcore scene, punk scene. Of course, yeah. And then Keith went on to be in Dead Guy, and then he did Kiss a Goodbye after that. Yeah, yeah. And um, did you guys, I mean, De- Dead Guy was a little bit after Human Remains, right? Yeah, and then Jim wound up playing bass in Dead Guy, the okay. guitar player from Human Remains. 
Yeah, yeah. And you, you actually did you join? Did you join Discordance Axis while you were still in Human Remains, or slightly after? Yeah, that was going. That was going at the same time. Okay, so it was kind of like just a natural, you know, Human Remains disbands, but you now you got Discordance Axis, and I assume shortly after you're in Black Army Jacket too, right? Yeah, and Discordance Axis was very sporadic. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't get together and practice three days a week like Human Remains did. Wow. We'd get together every once in a while, and that was it, maybe once a week. And and what about Black Army Jacket? Because weren't those guys from New York City and Long Island? Yeah, Rob called me up and, and asked me if I'd want to fill in for a tour, and I had so much fun, I'd I joined the band and we did a record. Could could you maybe talk a little bit about um, Black Army Jacket? Uh, because that's, as I said before, and just for the listeners, I've never talked about them much on the podcast, which I should change. Um, but, you know, they were always associated with Long Island because of a few members, and they were kind of like our only attachment to that um, power violence grindcore scene of the 90s, that Slap-A-Ham record scene, that, as I call it. Uh, you know, especially, you know, the only, like, Long Island connection that we had to it. So a lot of us were very proud of Black Army Jacket. Yeah, well, going back to, again, going back to Rorschach, uh, Keith, the guitar player, you know, he was also friend. He was also friendly with Henry from Revenant. They grew up together. So, you know, we would see each other at shows and stuff. So I wound up talking to Keith, you know, through Henry and, and seeing them at Lemoore's and stuff like that. And then Rob... The singer of Black Army Jacket was really good friends with Keith. So Keith kind of offered my name up when they were looking for someone and gave it to Rob, and Rob called me up. And he was like, hey, we want to do this tour. Are you, you think you'd be into it? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. It's cool. I'll start talking to those guys. And they're, they're a lot of fun. We had, we, had, we had a good time. And then just decided to, you know, stick around and write a record. Awesome, man. And and did where did, where did the tour go to? California, and then we did an East Coast run too, and then the band changed. It, it, here's a cool segue. Then the band changed up a little bit. Uh, Carlos started singing. Rob had left the band, and then we added another guitar player, which was John Adabata from Times Up. And then at, at the end, when Black Army Jacket it was fizzling out. John and I started Burnt by the Sun like a week later. Interesting. Okay. All right. A lot of connections here that I never made. Yeah, it's always from one thing to the other. And Burnt by the Sun, the, the band name, comes from Black Army Jacket being stuck in Florida on the beach for two days because the van died. Ooh. Everybody got burnt by the sun. So the names, it's not named after the, the, uh, the Russian film. It's named after a goof. Wow. So, so, uh, geez, Dave, I mean, Dave, I don't want to stop. I could keep talking to you for a while, man. But, um, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to, we're going to be respectful of your time. We've been going for close to an hour here and, um, we do, we, we usually close out with the album recommendations, but maybe we could just, we're, we're going to try to book you for a part two down the line and just kind of, kind of yeah, let's do that. That sounds fun. Yeah, dude. Cause we haven't even really tapped into burnt by the sun. You kind of just gave us like the, you gave us the little, um, you know what do you call it the cliffhanger for for the listeners you know for the burnt by the sun fans you yeah, know you can hear the seg yeah. the segue just revving yeah that bright yeah. gold segue in the sun just yeah that engine yeah. in the I distance just, I just lined it up That's which right. which by the way Dave it's not every day I let a guest ride the Segway but you did it beautifully <laughs> excellent form there Paul Paul, Paul Blart <laughs> himself cool. would be proud yeah. Thank you. Thank so, you. glistening, muscular Paul Blart. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, playing blast beats. So, uh, so before we get into the album recommendations that you're going to give our listeners, 
Uh, I gotta ask right now. Could you just briefly tell us a little bit about that that uh, burnt the black army jacket stuck in the sun story? Because we do talk tour stuff on this this podcast a lot. Uh, what, where the name came from? Well, you know, just maybe relate that experience um, of, of of when the van broke down and why it took two days. How painful was it? Uh, we were yeah. stuck at we were, we were stuck in Tampa, Florida, at my uncle's house. Luckily. Now, for that, two days, and we, we, we didn't have anything to do, so we just went to the beach. And Rich Hall was our Brody merch guy. He was the guy that booked CBGB's for a while afterwards. And everybody got such a bad sunburn. We we're like, oh, yeah, the next fan's going to be called Burned by the Sun. I said that, like, goofing around, and then we wound up using it. <laughs> wow. And John's like my homie. He's like, I've been the best man at his wedding. That's my dude. So we've done a lot together. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. Really interesting to know uh, where the name burnt, from Burnt by the Sun. A lot, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, man. All right, so, Dave. So, uh, without further ado, Dave, um, do you want to recommend uh, anything, any classic, older musical release, any genre for our listeners, and then any newer one? Man, I can't get enough. Like, lately, I can't get enough of Seventh Son of the Seventh Son by Iron Maiden. Wow. Holy shit, is that record good. Wow. Sticking with the classics right off the bat. Yeah, I love that album, man. It's so great. The drumming's great. Everything about it's awesome. Power Slave is my all-time favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Somewhere in Time was really good. It was a little bit maybe too progressive and didn't have that swing. And then when they came back to Seventh Sun, it all bounced back out. Goddamn record. Amazing. I listen to it all. I listen to it a lot on this drive home, so it's real fresh in my memory. Awesome, man. Yeah, I've I've been exploring the kind of new wave of British heavy metal uh, thing a lot, a lot more lately, more in depth than I, than oh, I ever man. did. Always, so always much stuck out there. It's, it's great. great. Yeah, it's oh. deep maiden. You know, that's deep like yeah. exploring maiden. That's Tomb Raider maiden. Yeah, it's yeah. They're, they're my favorite heavy metal band ever. Them and Judas Priest. Yeah, two two great ones, man. Yeah, I, I mean Iron Maiden, obviously I know, man. But yeah, you know Judas Priest too. But so much great uh, heavy metal from from that movement. Wow, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. All right, man. And then so so uh, so take us up to date, Dave. What's something that's fairly new that's come out that you're into? I just ordered. I just pre-ordered the new Dysrhythmia record, and I can't wait to get it. Cause they're one of my favorite bands ever. Bing bong. There you go. All right, man. So, so yeah, Dysrhythmia, uh, and the listeners uh, should know by now. We interviewed Colin Marston uh, of Dysrhythmia. Um, try, you know, trying to trying to reach out to other members of the band or whatever, man. I think that, I think they're playing out coming up. They're doing a. Um, I, I think they're doing an album release show at Vitus. Yes, right? I think yeah. it's yeah, October they're, they're 9th. Yeah, doing like a week. Week of shows or something like that. Uh, we're we're uh, we're on tour at the time. Otherwise, I would drive up for that because I love that. I saw their first show ever. Like, oh, wow. they're one of my favorite bands. They always surprise me every time they put something out. It's awesome. Could you talk a little bit about their first show briefly? Yeah, it was at Stalag Thirteen. They opened up. They had like four and a half songs, and then it was Discord and Texas, and then the Ruins from Japan. <laughs> wow, man. Awesome. At, at, uh, yeah, the squat in Philly. That place was amazing. I saw so many great shows there. Oh man, you say Japan. I have. I didn't even get to my Mel Banana questions, Dave. We got to get you back. Mm-hmm. All so, right. So yeah, that new, that new Dysrhythmia drops uh, October fourth. Okay, okay, there you go. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, October fourth, the new Dysrhythmia is going to yeah, be out. Yeah, translation lost records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, look look for them. Uh, they might be coming to a place by you. They're doing a short tour to promote that. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, if you if you like highly creative technical music with a heart and soul that pushes boundaries this rhythmia is, is your jam instrumental 
Yeah. Well. Yeah. And if you don't like that stuff, I don't know how you got this far into this episode. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but uh, awesome. And two awesome recommendations, Dave. Taking it back with the seventh son, man. Wow. All right. And um, and Dysrhythmia, obviously, who you got to watch for uh, coming up. And um, Dave, yeah. you know. Yeah. One, one click. One quick, one, uh, one more quick thing. Please, yeah. On the way, on the way out to Chicago, I listened to Kansas to Point of No Return. Holy crap! What a progressive rock masterpiece that record is. If you don't, yes. If you don't know that record, you should listen to that too. It's insane. Highly <laughs> overlooked the, man. The amount, the Thank amount you. of time and, 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 and arrangements, everything went out. It blew my mind because I never listened to it closely, and that record is amazing. Yeah, Kansas, I think, a highly underrated progressive rock band, maybe because of the kind of southern rock uh, you know, vibe you get off of them sometimes. I don't know. But um well, there was a massive hit that like stamped a generation, right? Yeah, so, you they, know, yeah, hard, hard hard to get past that hard wayward son, man. But that band yeah. is riffs. That band is just yeah. beautiful riffs. Yeah, no, but they've got some he's right though. They, like just for fans of that, you know, if you're the, if you're exploring like your yes and you're more like prog bands, your rush or whatever, that Kansas wormhole is deep and there's some great material that didn't make it to commercial rock radio. No doubt. Yeah, man. Aw- awesome recommendations, Dave. And um, you know, Dave, obviously, uh, you know, people probably um know you best nowadays from municipal waste, uh out you know, outside of your um your your food endeavors. Uh, but what, what what else is coming up, man? Do you want to plug anything? Any new releases? Anything you've been working on? What's going on? Yeah, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. And uh, actually, uh, uh, the next thing is the U.S. tour. The Municipal Ways are doing with uh, Napalm Death and Sick of It All. It's in uh, the month of October. Amazing. It's wow. going to be a banger. I'm stoked on it. That, that's we love amazing. All those guys. It's like, yeah, it's... and Take Offense is opening. We really like those guys a lot. We're happy they're coming along. Cool. Cool man, what a lineup, man! For for you guys especially, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Great. Got a New York date? Yeah, and then everybody's friendly with one another, and we all love each other's music, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. Yeah, you're doing uh two dates at the Bowery, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the stuff sold out, which is really good. It's really high attended tour so far. Yeah, well, I mean that. Li- I mean, it's it's funny because like you guys kind of like bridge a little bit of that gap between Sick of It All and Napalm Death in a way. You know, it's like the crossover thing right there. Yeah, it's perfect. That's what I love about what's going on in heavy music today, man. A tour like that coming around. Yeah, and, and just a little bit, of, a little bit of everything from from the spectrum of heaviness. And you yeah, that's what I want. I want diversity. I don't want to go see the same band six times in a row. Yep. <laughs> and you're you're not likely to get back suplexed or cl- closed lined or mm-hmm. anything or DDT'd in side, the mosh pit. Yeah, side Russian leg sweep. Just yeah, for yeah. your hairstyle. <laughs> it's not. It's not yeah. going to be for your hairstyle. It's going to be for some other reason. <laughs> All right. All right, Dave. So, um, you know, Dave, just reassure the listeners, uh, you know, we're going to have you back, man. We're going to we're going to talk some shit about your other bands. We're going to eventually work our I'd way up to, to the back. Yeah, we're going to work our way up to the municipal waste territory. We're going to talk about craft beers. It's going to be great, okay? Yeah, it's, there's a lot. I can go on and on <laughs> until next time. I'm excited. All right. Th- oh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Dave Witty. We really appreciate it and we'll be in touch, brother. Good talking to you. Hey guys, thanks again, man. I had a great time. Let's see you next time. Have Thank a good night, Dave. Thanks, Peace, bro. Uh, take care. Later, man. We came to wreck everything and ruin your life.
there's a lot of information there. Dave's done a yeah. lot of things, man. A lot of chocolate, a lot of coffee, a lot of uh, healthier food than I'm accustomed to. I learned a few things. Thank you, Dave. And, yeah, a lot of great uh, extreme music uh, lore, history, and trivia there. Um, we thank Dave a lot, and we assure the listeners we're going to get him back for parts two, three, four, five, six, and, and yeah, so on. We need the whole story. As yeah. long as it takes to get to the bottom of the, of the story, <laughs> of, this, of this particular heavy hole, it's, we're going we're gonna to go there. Okay? All the way until we're eating this food yeah. know, down in Virginia. We're yeah, gonna, yeah so. we're going to take the heavy hole all the way down to Virginia at the food truck, okay? He might have a few new bands by the time we have Monica. At, at least a few new yeah. uh, a few new albums and a few new um, menu selections, uh, right. I would imagine. Yeah, but uh, you know, seriously speaking, thanks to Dave. We really appreciate his time uh, and his uh, banter uh, here on the podcast, and we will get him back. Um, and he had some great recommendations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kansas, classic Iron Maiden, dysrhythmia, man. That Kansas really hit me somewhere special. <laughs> I, I have. I, right I, in the heartland of your body. I, well, <laughs> one of the few um, bands that you can collect at like the thrift store dollar vinyl bin and actually get like some cool prog rock out of that most <laughs> of the time. Because that, you know, yeah, dude, trust me, I, I've been there. So. Um, that being said, do you guys have anything to bring to the table and recommend me? Because I brought something. Yeah, uh, I, I got my two. I got a new and I got an oldie. Bust it. This is a band called SZA. Um, it's Polish. It not, means not, silence. Not the pop recording artist, SZA. Yeah, I was no. going to say, could you spell that for us? It's C-I-S-Z-A. And it's okay. Polish for silence. Okay, cool. Mm. And so this is what you would call... Um, Post black metal, which I don't understand because it's just black metal to oh, me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good EP that this this band SZA put out. It's called uh, "If It Is True What the Prophets Write." So I broke the rules by accident because my initial resource with finding this told me it was 2019 release. It's actually 2017, but I mm-hmm. said, "Fuck it." You know, they what? got you. They got you on that. Yeah, okay. it's an indie release. I gotta say, uh, uh, an emotional EP all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of really pretty emotional chords. play. Yeah, yes. like uh, pretty things happening, but not like dainty sounding. It yeah. still mm-hmm. sounds like uh, these guys are experienced in what they're doing, uh, as opposed to trying to create an atmosphere without actually making anything heavy beforehand. Which I feel like, ooh, yeah. ooh. I like how you sum that time. up because that's what some bands do. Love it. Yeah, yeah, and there's really nothing wrong with that, but I can hear that, and yeah. and it's just not for me. And what is this podcast if I can't bring things that are for me? You know, so uh, yeah, this is their EP 2017 self released. Um, check it out, it's dreamy, it really is. It's mm. good headphone music, yeah. Um, I can tell that right off the bat. It's got an interesting flow to it, just the pacing of it, the yeah. production of it. It's like a river, it's mm-hmm. yeah. just flows, yeah. All, all like it's, it's definitely creating this, this emotional atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. um, deep thoughts. Figure your shit out while you're listening to this. It's not the depressive black metal, I guess. Yep. Um, which will give you other thoughts, but reflective. Yes, black yes. metal. Yeah. Reflective, reflective. Black metal. Like, yes. a, like a pool of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is. Uh, no. This is. It's. Yeah. It, there's like a, a depth to the. Um, a, a, a sonic depth to it, and it feels like. It just feels like the tempo and the production is right for these riffs. Yeah, you know, and the yeah. mood—it's—it's it's, there's an ambiance here, man. Yeah, I really it's, like these like throaty vocals too. You know, like, ugh. just it fucking adds hiking I, black metal. I, th- I think Hike. it adds like ooh, yeah. I, I think it adds like yeah. a perceived time to it because the the voice sounds old in yeah, a way. Yeah, and the riffs are—it's like ancient. They're, li- they're light, but they're 
also continuous, so it has this like uh, naturally juxtaposition sound right off the yeah. bat. Ancient bathhouse platform. Mm. Yeah, it's <laughs> very very beautiful music. So everyone, uh, go check this out. Uh, you can buy it on Bandcamp, and it's on YouTube. It's not on any, any streaming platforms. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, SZA, if it is true what the prophets write. So, uh, Justin, what am I feeling guilty about today? <laughs> it's funny you say. Uh, so, my new recommendation for all you buttholes out there. Uh, <laughs> Portrayal of Guilts uh, 2019 EP came out last month, August 2019. Uh, Suffering is a Gift out on Closed Casket Activities. Um, this uh, is an, uh, a three-piece from Austin, Texas. It's fucking interesting man uh this is a band that's like kind of part screamo part power violence but like with an absolute death metal black metal hardcore kind of influence this ep is uh is just over nine minutes long and it's it's a it's a well-rounded expertly written assault on genre norms with a uh gimmick lit gimmickless authenticity uh to it um it's this thing is just fucking aggressive, man, and uh, you know not not too different than than SZA that you just that you brought. Um, there are these emotional parts laid throughout that um, that make sense, man. But you know they they come at it from more of this like uh, early converge kind of like number twelve, like early two thousands, like kind of like, like melodic grindcore yeah, scene like, i guess you can call it that like, pe- like pe- worm roddy in a way exactly like when when that shit was like uh marketed it was screamo but really it was like this melodic like emotional hardcore mm-hmm. um, yeah 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 the word the words emo screamo and goth meaning vastly different uh subcultures and music genres and and lifestyles depending on uh on how old you are, man. I mean, I'm 37, and all those terms mean a, a much different thing to me than I think the younger people nowadays. Completely, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know, like like labels took it and ran with whatever yeah. band was big, yeah. and you know, this is why labels are so tough to kind of fucking work with. Of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, portrayal of guilt, man. This is uh, this is their. Uh, they, they actually, I think they just came out with a split, and I'm I'm, I'm forgetting who, who the name is, but uh, or they're about to come out with one. Um, but this, you know, they have one LP that came out before this uh, in 2018 that was very critically acclaimed. Um, uh, not as experimental as as this piece, but uh, you know, th- this uh, suffering as a gift is, is seems to be an example of um, their knowledge of, I guess, of, of, of music. You know, their uh, their willingness to expand, and I, I think in a very um, creative thoughtful and, and like i said authentic way of, of blending genres um, um the, the the band they sp- did the split with is soft kill yeah there you go okay so uh i'll be checking that out this was actually my first exposure to this band um they just wrapped up a tour with uh harm's way 
uh, fuming mouth and Jesus piece, mm. which is a fucking heavy tough tour, tour man. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I really like that this band was placed on it because they they offer something different than than each of those bands, but still kind of playing it, you know, heavy. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, suffering is a gift, man. Is it? I don't know. Would I give it back? Probably. Don't like to suffer. But this album, I'm going to take it and I'm going <laughs> to hold on to it. Uh, portrayal, is, portrayal of guilt. Suffering is a gift. Uh, yeah. Listen to it or don't. I think it's pretty good. Okay, there. I want to talk to you guys about the Russian band Horror God. Uh, they're putting out an album called Cursed Seeds on September 27th. So it'll probably be out by the time this episode is uploaded for the listeners. Mm. Right now, as I'm talking about it, I've only heard this one song, Age of Madness, that they've previewed on their Bandcamp and on YouTube. Um, yeah, you guys should pay attention, man, because I what caught my eye is that this is kind of like... I, I not to box it in, but it kind of falls with that dissonant word, right? That that a lot of people are into nowadays, kind of technical dissonant death metal. This is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This songwriting. Yeah, no, this is amazing stuff, and it's not your typical like kind of gore guts worship type thing. It's different. It's got its own personality. It's really weird. And I only heard this one song, and I was kind of blown away. So I did my research. This is actually going to be their third full length. Uh, so you got to go back and check out their prior two, two full-length albums um, before this. And uh, a weird kind of connection, too. Not this particular song that was uh, like uh, released early, this Age of Madness song. There's going to be another song on the album that they haven't released yet. Uh, it's called They Were Behind the Barbed Wire, and it actually has a guest appearance by Kevin Huffnagel of Dysrhythmia, oh, who we've already go. spoken about yeah. tonight. Yeah, and Gorguts, obviously. Yeah, uh, and who, just for the listener's sake, we are going to reach out to Kevin in the future for an interview and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but just an interesting connection because we didn't plan on uh, dysrhythmia being brought up tonight and spoken about. Um, you know, when I when I decided to talk about this upcoming album, uh, Cursed Seeds by Horror God. So yeah, there's not much to say about this because I feel like the more I talk about it, the more I might dissuade someone from checking this out because it's very unique and, and listenable. It has its only its own. Uh, it's kind of like personality kind of very musically expansive technical death metal but not sterile no. right uh so check these guys out and they have two albums out already for you to uh, backtrack on too besides this cursed seeds album that's coming out on uh lava dome i guess lava dome records lava dome is the name of the label and it's going to be out september 27th so it's probably out right now as you're listening to this all right uh so check them out horror god from russia this is why I subscribe to this podcast right there. Uh, it reminds me of if you removed all classical inspiration from Spawn of Possession. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Or it's yeah. the way yep. they pick things. And tech like, death with a soul. Yeah. Because it's doing everything that tech death does to me, but with emotion. It's yeah. like a it's like a Sciopus red cord spawn of possession. It's like if yeah. Spawn like, of Possession. It's, or like Gorgot Sciopus kind of thing. Like it's, it's like yeah. if one of possession got arrested and had to fight for their lives in jail. Yeah. 
me throw it back to 1990 for you. Take me back. Century Media. Demolition Hammer. Tortured Existence. Ooh. Their first full length. Wow. From from New York? Yeah, from the Bronx. From the Bronx. From the Bronx. Yep. There you go. The boys Demo- the Demolition Bronx. Hammer from the Boogie Down. Yep. What I like about this is that these guys were thrashing, but obviously, very obviously, listening to death metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You hear the possessed in this. You mm-hmm. hear the cannibal corpse. Mm-hmm. Listen to those guitars. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. a cannibal corpse anthrax mash right now. Yeah, that's Especially a, from the fucking city. That's a great comparison right there. Um, it's, it's inspired music. Mm-hmm. It's not reinventing the wheel. It is... It is fresh in its own rights, though. It's just, mm-hmm. it's metal. It's got balls, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This it's is... got those urban balls, too, you know? It's got yeah, if you were going to tell me there was like a death thrash band from the Bronx, this is what they would sound <laughs> like, man. Yeah. Yeah, and this one, you might sonically be familiar with this, the way this sounds, because it was recorded down in Morris Sound Recording down in Florida, uh, engineered oh. by the legendary Scott Burns. There you go. That's yeah. that's yeah. those guitars for mm-hmm. you. Yep. Yeah. Um, just sprinkled really cool guitar work all throughout. Uh-huh. Good, good performance vocally. Drummers on point. Um, this is the drummer Vinny Days. He actually died. He uh, he was I guess stung by a, a puffer fish while he was traveling in Africa. Wow! wow. Yeah! Wow! Oof. Yeah, a few years after leaving the band, and uh, so rest in peace, Vinny. All right, peace. Um, but really great drumming. Got that as a legacy. Those of you who are familiar with this band, you know, a couple albums after this, they came out with Time Bomb, which was more of a groove metal thing, and people didn't re- really like that when it came out, yeah. but I also would recommend that album. It's a really good album. It's a different different thing for Demolition Hammer, but it's not bad. It's it's, it's groovy. It's like, uh, it's for your fans of Nail Bomb. Okay. You know, okay. Doing, doing something like that. Somewhat industrial. Um, they split up shortly after putting that one out, but they're playing again. Incidentally, they're actually playing the Mass Destruction 3 Fest in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the Fest is playing November 1st and 2nd. I don't know which day Demolition Hammer's playing, but you could look that up if you're going to be or could plan to go to the Georgia area. This Mass Destruction 3 Fest uh, just came onto my radar today. Uh, Demolition Hammer, also Nile, Terrorizer, Sai from Japan, Deceased, Imprecation, Nunslaughter, Mortis Scold. Uh, Ectovoid, who I've talked about on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of Ectovoid. Some other great bands, Caveman Cult. Um, but this is going to be a sick fest, this Mass Destruction 3 Fest in Atlanta, Georgia, November 1st and 2nd. So uh, just had to bring that up because you're talking about Demolition Hammer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're. I, I mean, Will brought it up. Maybe we road trip down there. So we're kicking that idea around. So we'll yeah. see what's up. We'll up heavy, with that. Yeah, heavy potholes on the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Heavy, heavy hole uh, looking into the logistics of this metal festival, seeing if we can get down there. Yep. So, uh, Demolition Hammer, Tortured Existence, and also, I mean, th- they only have three albums out. Um, mm. Maybe we'll barbecue about it one day. Ooh, good idea. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. This, this name, Demolition Hammer, you got to wonder if it's like a New York City construction type of thing. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah, if you, know you, know just, if mm-hmm. you just Google that, you just get pictures yeah. of jackhammers. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. So New York right here. <laughs> yeah, so Tortured Existence... That's the re- the official recommendation, but Epidemic of Violence, that was the one to follow two years later, 1992, uh, was more in this vein, and then Time Bomb's the one where they totally changed it up. That's 1994. Check out the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Sick. 
Motorhead. Awesome. Motorhead. 1977. Wow, man. First Dave brings a seventh son of a seventh son, and then you take it straight back with Motorhead. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just I'm gonna just peel open the door. Peel away. This is like an orange. Like a like a like a clementine peel away. I'm going to... <laughs> You ever eat a cantaloupe but you only like eat it like maybe a quarter at a time? Right? So you chop into it because you know. You're going to have your friends over like another day, and you're going to want to take the three quarters of that Clementine off. That's what Motorhead is right now. Okay. So, <laughs> so, okay. Because I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this door open for when we do our New Wave British Heavy Metal episode. So I'm just going to, I'm going to play this like I'm recommending it. Some people might have forgotten. This is Motorhead's first record. Motorhead. 1977. Great. Can you believe it? Starting with the self-titled. <laughs> Uh, this came out uh, almost what, 42 years ago to the day, August 21st, 1977. Wow, wow. Uh, on Chiswick Records. So, I mean, listen, what can I say about Motorhead, right? One of the most influential. Legendary. Uh, I- icons. Le- yeah, yeah th- this is met. It's metal. R.I.P. to Lemmy, obviously. Without say, you know, goes without saying. Goes without saying. Yeah, I, I've uh, always loved the, Motorhead. Yeah, the, yeah, on the Mount Rushmore of, of heavy metal, right? Yeah. Um, Lemmy, uh, incidentally, the real life version of Ozzy Osbourne. I like to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, who uh, Post Malone just just made famous, right? Yeah. Well, so this dude, is good. Uh, <laughs> that's, come on. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that guy. Let's just keep him moving here. Talk about Motorhead. <laughs> Oh man, so uh, so yeah, so this is uh, Motorhead's first record, like you were saying. Um, pretty funny story about this record is like, uh, you know, Motorhead was already pretty established. Um, they started in 1975 uh, after um, after uh, Lemmy was kicked out of uh, out of his, the, the, the band right before. He was was that Hawkwind? Hawkwind, yeah, he was, kicked, yeah. He was uh, arrested for some drug charges. Probably bullshit, allegedly. I mean, I, um, I, I don't know much about Hawkwind. Maybe, maybe some of the old schoolers could tell us. But I mean, yeah, they're, I, like a, they're like a space rock, almost like a like a proto psychedelic rock kind of band. I feel like you got to be caught with a lot of drugs to get kicked out of Hawkwind. <laughs> sure. Like, like I feel like if you get caught with like a, a dime bag, Hawkwind isn't going to be like, "That's it, buddy." You know what I mean? Like, this had to be an incident. All right, allegedly. Yeah, all right. allegedly. So, right. uh, so Motorhead was actually the last song that Lemmy. He was an original member of the, of the band. They brought him in. They kind of. Made, their sound got a little more punky when he was in there. Okay. Um, uh, Motorhead was the name of the last song he had written for Hawkwind. Uh-huh. He was like, "All right, well, they kicked me out. Let's we'll start this band." Like I said, we're gonna get a lot more into this when we when we give Motorhead it, their due justice, their time. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you um, know what? I, I I applaud you for bringing this on because with some of these bigger, more like iconic bands. I, I've been like weary of bringing them on the podcast yeah. just because it's like, where do you start cracking away? Exactly. M- much like with Dave Whitty today, like, where do you crack into that legacy, man? So yeah, let's start. Let's so I mean, th- this is interesting too because you know, like, well, you know, we're, we've been we've been alluding to it how Motorhead is like this this pillar of uh, of punk, like mm-hmm. you know, this, this mm-hmm. sort of like uh, point in time where punk, thrash, uh, speed metal, hardcore all kind of like came out of. But you know, you listen to this record, this is just like. Uh, 
it's like faster Chuck Berry or, or, or Jerry Lee Lewis, you know. And it's like, rock and, and roll. And, rock and, and roll, Lemmy, yeah. like, you know, he didn't start that. He wasn't really listening to punk at the time. He was listening to, to you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry. And, um, you know, he roadied for Jimi Hendrix or whatever. And there's a song about, uh, a song called, uh, was it uh, White Line Fever about him getting drugs with Jimi Hendrix back in the day, you know. So he was, Great he, was, song. He, was he was he's just a rock and roll guy. And he, car- he kind of carried that all the way through. He just wanted to play things. Louder, faster, and heavier. Yep. You know, and uh, and that is like, that's the magic of Motorhead. You know, it everything is, is just turn your fucking amps up, wall of marshals, hit it and go. So this these are like the the, the humble beginnings of this. Um, so the it was it was funny because um, when I was doing a little bit of research on this, uh, like I said, Motorhead had been had been touring. You know, after after Lemmy uh, left uh, Hawkwind. And um, they were going to play their last show because they figured, like, you know, to get into the studio cost 50 pence or whatever or 500 pence. Like, we can't afford that. So, you know, we're just going to play one more show and, and get rid of it. And um, the uh, the owner of Chiswick Records, who, who who ended up putting this record out, saw them at their last show and was like, you know, um, you know this band's kind of put their dues in, so uh, I'm going to give them a couple hours, uh, you know, studio time. Wow. So... Pretty much right after that, that that show that they played, they went into the studio for the weekend and recorded this record. A lot of it was kind of um, was stuff that they had been playing over the past year and a half, two years, and uh, and he put it out and it did it did pretty well in the UK. But um, yeah, nobody in the, this was only offered in the states as an import, so it was like super hard to get. It wasn't until uh, a record or two after that people in the states really knew who Motorhead was. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah, that's something we take it for granted now. For um, sure, yeah. The internet spoils us. I mean, the same thing. I, not, not to cut you off, mm-hmm. or, but the same thing happened with Jimi Hendrix when he put out sure. Our Experience. Yep. Uh, the American audience didn't get it till like a year and a half later, and yep. he was he was a legend over over in the UK already. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's a similar sort of thing because when Jimi Hendrix came out, people were like, "Well, what the fuck is this? Where do I place this?" Right. You know. And um, same thing with this this first Motorhead record. Like, you know, we listen to it now and kind of place it, but um, you know, this is coming kind of right in between, like Deep Purple hitting off, and uh, right before uh, Iron Maiden kind of broke. So you know, this like kind of really fast punk shit. Nope, nobody really knew what to what to do with it. Or this fast, it's really fast rock and roll. Like nobody knew kind of like where to place it. So uh, so it, you know, we kind of owe this this owner of Chiswick Records like a kind of giving them a second chance to get a record out mm-hmm. to let them percolate a little bit more I guess until they could chart you know and it's all and then chart and then make it to the states and then and then blow up like they did or we would never have fucking Ace of Spades or uh, Triple H coming out to Motorhead right uh, so, I could have yeah. done without that but um, <laughs> it almost reminds me of like when we interviewed Steve Grimmett of Grim Reaper about them beating like 99 other bands to get some uh, some studio time yeah it's, it's, you know, it's that by chance kind it, of thing and I mean it just shows you how like the, you know getting that expo- even getting your, your product recorded was so difficult you know nowadays in this age of recording stuff on your phone and your computer and your own house and all that and uh, and also like Tom mentioned um, getting released in Europe or England and not getting distribution in the States I mean that was a whole thing and even if you listen to when we had Timmy from the Record Reserve record store on he mentioned to us that the old English records actually like if you get a Led Zeppelin or a Judas Priest record from England yeah. the original yeah. there's better sound quality than an American version 
the you know, pressing just thing, I yeah. mean, just like what a what a jungle of a different world for a, a music fan. You know, it, it was before this advent yep. of like internet and file sharing and all this stuff, man. You know, crazy. And I say that, you know, obviously, again, I just want to say like disclaimer, not trying to put it down for any of the younger listeners or anything. I just try to paint the picture so people don't forget. You know, that, that that's kind of what it used to be. It's good to have context in, the, in this sort of sense. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. uh, I think Motorhead is looked over a lot. Absolutely, being what they are. Yeah, for the new new generation of heavy Absolutely. metal listeners, they uh, were a lot just of them, yeah, they, skip it. They were so consistent for so long. Motorhead, man, yeah, we could talk all night. We could exactly, talk all night. yeah. So, like I said, we're just gonna, you know, we're, we're giving you a little peek into the box when we eventually get into like uh, giving Motorhead their due justice. Uh, last thing I want to say is on this record, um, it featured the debut of the famous Warpig logo, you mm. know, the, uh, the the album art yeah. uh, done by uh, Joe Pettigano. Or Pentagono, um, who, who had uh, he's he's done artwork uh, for Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, all the way to Autopsy and Vital Remains. Wow, you know, sick, uh, amazing fucking career, and and we'll touch on him more because I think uh, I think Motorhead, the artwork for Motorhead, especially that Warpig logo, um, helped, like you said, add to that image, the metal that, image, that yes, no, yes, that no bullshit blue collar fucking tough guy metal image. Yep, you know? yep, and uh, and yeah, so if if you don't know uh, now, you know. Motorhead's first record, Rock and Fucking Roll. In session tonight, very pleased to have all the way from Ipswich, Extreme Noise Terror, and this is called Take the Strain. All right, I brought in my uh, bootleg, Extreme Noise Terror, the Peel Session 7-inch. Um, Adam Rotella acquired this in the 90s at some point, and then I acquired it. I think uh, he might have not liked the quality of it, but that, that doesn't sound like Adam, because he can go real rough with the sound quality of things, as we all know. Uh, I think maybe I just traded it to him for something that he thought was sicker, man. But um, this is my uh, my property now is this bootleg Extreme Noise Terror 7-inch, which you can't even put up for sale on Discogs. So who, who knows how much it's worth? Um, and it was actually... Hold on, I had it on my phone here for a second. Hold on. This is uh, Supreme Black Market stuff. Yeah, this is really uh, illegal stuff, allegedly. Um, but I, I got it through trade, secondhand, so I don't know anything about that. But this was uh, recorded May 1st, 1988, uh, and uh, that it, was, it was actually transmitted on the radio uh, November 2nd, 88, uh, on the Peel Sessions. Um, we could probably do a whole episode talking about the Peel Sessions and, and what that entails, and I already brought in the Buzzcocks Peel Sessions cassette a few episodes ago. Uh, but it was just kind of like live recordings, maybe kind of like that era's version of this audio tree YouTube that everyone's into now, because this Peel Sessions would give everybody kind of a taste of what these bands sounded like live that had these that had songs out and things like that, and would give you a taste of something fresh. Um, but this was, the only information I could find about this is that it was pressed up in Germany, and it actually contains um, songs that were on the 1998 Peel Sessions LP that came out on Discipline. 
uh, and the sound quality was a lot better on that Peel Sessions LP. So I don't like to bring in things that the listeners can't acquire for themselves somehow. You can listen to this on YouTube and stuff, but I thought this was a really interesting thing to share, and we've spoken about the bootleg culture before on the show. So this is my um, Extreme Noise Terror Peel Sessions bootleg, man. And if you want to hear these songs in better quality, look for that Peel Sessions LP that came out in 98. Yeah, we also haven't talked much Extreme Noise Terror either. Yeah, that's what I thought. I got so caught up in the obscure nature of this release. Um, But yeah, Extreme Noise Terror... Uh, maybe a little bit outshined by Napalm Death, Terrorizer, Carcass, all those bands, you know, but Extreme Noise Terror is a great old school, one of the uh, pioneering English grindcore bands to, to get with, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about actually on our Slaw and Order episode when I talked about Napalm Death's diatribes, uh, I mentioned that Barney Greenway left Napalm Death and sang on an Extreme Noise Terror album. Yep. Uh, way, way later than this. For, you know, back in the 80s, Extreme Noise Terror was raw, bro. This is kind of like your 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 bridge between super fast hardcore and grindcore here, right here, man. You know, so fans of your Siege, your Napalm Death, uh, Terrorizer, check out Extreme Noise Terror if you haven't. And if you're a fan of Extreme Noise Terror, definitely check out the Peel Sessions LP for a really good live raw take on uh, on that band, man. ENT. 88, man. Sick. Crazy. Couldn't you rain kisses on their eager upturned faces? That's extreme noise terror, two from them in session, the second of them being called murder, and the first take the uh, from extreme noise terror in session, no threat. <laughs> Alright, heavy hole podcast. Um Dave Whitty, gentlemen knowledgeable man worldly man we thank him for his time we're gonna to try to get him back too much knowledge for one episode absolutely yeah, man dropping too many jewels on us man um i want to thank you guys for the albums that you brought to my attention this evening appreciate yeah. it yeah, good round man yep. the uh, horror horror god horror god, horror god from yeah. russia fantastic horror god from russia yeah we're gonna keep our eyes on them mm-hmm. uh shout out to kevin huffnagel we're gonna keep our eyes on him we're gonna reach out to him for an interview mm-hmm. as i always say whether or not they get back to me i can't control but i'll be Above the table with the listeners on who we're talking to. There you go. Um, and we're talking to a bunch of people I'm not going to tell you about. Haha. So, Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, you can find us uh, Heavy Hole Podcast gmail.com. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. That's there the one go. that the kids are on nowadays. Yeah, the yeah. Instagram. Send all the pictures. pictures. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. easy to see. Yeah, man. I actually they they actually for um, to contact somebody for a behind the scenes thing. Artificial brain. The guys gave me the little password, and I accessed Instagram. Mm. I've been on Instagram the past few days. How'd you think? What do you think? You got a taste for it? Now. It's it's a lot. I had to buckle up. Right. I had to take it slow. <laughs> Sunglasses. But on. yeah, the, yeah, the kids the kids are onto something with this Instagram. So hit us up on that. Justin's still piloting the Instagram for us because he's a little younger than me, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, and uh, if you do want to go old fashioned, do, do the old rotary dial up. How do you call? Why don't you hit us up at six three one eight three seven three two seven four. 
What? Got it. Got what? it that time. Yes. What was you that number oh, again? Mean, right. I, I was contemplating the differences between King Diamond, Lord Worm, and Ozzy Osbourne. You know, it's always oh, one of you good. guys. What's that number? 631-837-3274. Okay. Right, Tom, listen. My ears just had some fucking gutturals <laughs> in them right now. What is that number again? You guys just like hear me trip up on numbers. Just give the it's listeners. not very nice. Give the listeners Justin's number, all right? That's, that's all. 631-837-3274. Yeah. And all you right. can send snail mail to uh, 666 at Heavy Hole Street. Dot that's go, not uh, fucking home. <laughs> Invalid. Go home tonight. No. Stop. All right. We'll get a P.O. box soon. You can send whatever you want over there. That's yeah. right. Get an Uber wherever you are. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> all right. All I'm right. going to call an Uber and get the hell out of here. <laughs> Guys, thanks to Dave Witte. Thanks to all of our listeners. And thanks to you, too. Heavy Hole Podcast. Peace out. All right. One. Well.